Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. This is the OKest Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks, because that's just me in the freezer. It's your tag, you hunt how you want. This is OKest Hunter. Hey everybody, welcome to the OKS Hunter Podcast. Coming at you from the OKS Hunter Podcast studio. Uh, I am back from my trip to Montana, and it took me a minute to get back in front of the mic and in front of my computer. But while I was gone, Derek and Greg got together over the phone and jammed out uh, to chat a little bit about you know what uh, Greg was up to over at Doug Duran's farm over the weekend for their doe derby, the Casanova, the Cas doe derby over there. Uh, he helped mentor a hunt. I believe, and hung out with the guys and gals when they're trying to help out where he could. Um, they also talked about some of their late season plans and strategy. Derek thought he was done with late season hunting. Turns out he wasn't. <laughs> he got back out there. Greg loves the late season. Um, so I'm sure, you know, there's going to be some good content in this one if you're into late season hunting and how you're strategizing and planning for that. Uh, and in addition to that, they talk about their trail camera sets and, and how they're deploying those. Knowing it's getting colder, battery life is, uh, you know, going to go a little bit quicker maybe than normal with the cold and so forth. So, um, yeah, back at it next week, Tuesday, uh, and then after Christmas again. And we'll just keep rolling right into the new year and having fun. Our new YouTube show will drop, I believe, sometime in January. I don't have a date yet, but stay tuned for that because it's going to be a whole season episodic kind of thing of uh, our season captured as best as we could. So I'm really, really, really excited about that. And uh, we wouldn't really be able to do a lot of the stuff, um, you know, to the degree of affording the equipment it takes to run this podcast. There's a lot of technology involved. You guys you know, usually hear about our technical problems, but for every one problem we have, we have a hundred things that go right with the show as far as like live broadcast, the call-in feature, um, the mixers and the headphones and all, all of those things. So with that said, um, you know, shout out to Spartan Forge being our, our presenting sponsor and helping us manage and maintain all this technology in our studio here. Uh, they're great. You know, check out SpartanForge.ai if you haven't heard of them. I'm not going to belabor it at this point. If you listen to the podcast, you know who they are and we'll um, you know, we always talk with them in every episode and how we use their application. They did just launch, though, their their 3D slope angles. Uh, so you can get a real, when I was in Montana, I was trying it out. You can actually look at, like, a th- what I would call a 3D view of of the mountains or slopes or hills and, and all that stuff. Um, Bill calls it 3D emphasis, um, I believe is how he actually says it. Because we were having... <laughs> A little bit of a communication breakdown because I'm not as smart as him. I was trying to like explain how do I you know look at this. So you have to go into the app um, the settings and click slope angle and contours, and then on your lambda map button or that button on the left, you you tap that, and then there's this other thing you can push, 
um, to get that, that slope. It looks like a little 3D box you slide up and down towards the mountains. So anyway, it's pretty great. Check that out. Uh, Vector Custom Shop, great friends of ours. We, we've killed some deer with their arrows, and uh, it's been a great season here in the OKS OK Hunter realm. Um, so check those guys out as well. By the way, OHP will get you some discount or percentage off with all of our partners. Latitude Outdoors, uh, their saddles are amazing. They have a lot of new products coming out. They have some platforms and knee pads, and they, they put a lot of emphasis on their product development. They do a good job, and they're right out of Michigan. <clears throat> so local guys into the Midwest, and then uh, Go Wild. You know, we posted all of our trophies over there, so to speak, and as a result, we got some, you know, uh, what do you want to call it? Reward points. I'm just trying to rack my brain there, which you can exchange for monetary monetary value and uh they have discounts at the run on so there's there's a social component where you're not going to get your wrist slapped by you know posting a grip and grin or whatever there's a strong sense of community over there you meet people there you become genuine friends with them you know, we go to trade shows uh last year we went to the, the one in the dells wisconsin this next year we're doing a couple more so you know a lot of folks from go wild were like hey hey how you guys doing it's good to meet you in person so that's pretty cool um, so check out Go Wild as well, and you can use code OHP over there too to save yourself some money. Buy our hats over there as well. Um, gosh, I think that's mostly all I wanted to cover before I turn it over to to what Greg and Derek had chatted about while I was out. And uh, it's been a great year, everybody. We're just super super pumped for the community that we that we have. The fact that people tune in each and every week, you know, and and call in and comment on the show and rate us on iTunes and review us on Spotify and all that stuff. We've run into people on the trailheads and the deer woods and it's just been, it's just been really, really positive, which is what we're trying to do is just become a positive beacon in this, in the space. Um, so that's it. I'll stop rambling and, and we'll uh, get into what these guys had to talk about. Here we are. Hey buddy. Howdy. Howdy. Howdy doody. Well, Hanging in there. Um, just got back from doing a mentor hunt over the weekend. That went, uh, didn't go as good on the deer sighting side of things, but it was good all around just to have a little camaraderie. Another deer camp shared um, in an iconic place, the Doug Duran Farm. Uh, Heck yeah. Pretty, pretty neat atmosphere there a lot of a lot of cool stories and a lot of history on the wall of that place that's really cool yeah i saw you had posted to your social media um, a couple of photos and stuff last night and looked like a good group of people we'll have to uh we'll have to dive into that a little bit i'd love to hear a little bit more about how he went about running that that's uh doug and the shared share the land kind of thing going <clears throat> yeah so doug started the sharing the land program um for those who don't know it is a program for, you know, hunters that can't seem to find property to hunt but are willing to put forth some effort to help the landowners maybe achieve some sort of, you know, cleanup or some some type of conservation on their land, whether it is removal of invasive species or just helping them clean up their property. And, you know, in that area where... It's in the Driftless area where there's a lot of deer, very high numbers and a very high prevalence of CWD. Um, you can't shoot enough deer out of there, and there's huge numbers. And, yes, CWD is prevalent, but it's a great opportunity for someone to come in, do some work, learn how to hunt, 
and some of these folks that are getting involved in this program maybe have a little bit of experience already deer hunting or small game hunting or something like that. But the part that I'm involved with uh, through BHA and sharing the land is the learn to hunt program. I actually get to become a, I am a mem, uh, yeah, a mentor to a couple of people. You know, I mentored one guy about my age uh, for a squirrel hunt. And then this guy was a bit younger than me this time around for a deer hunt. No deer. That's awesome. Yeah, no deer were killed. No deer were harmed. Uh, kind of the end of this last four-day doe season. So the deer were pretty pressured on this property because we got crickets. <laughs> that went well. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on there? Oh, we hit a button. So Eric can either edit it out or just, you know, keep it okay. The old cricket button. I the like old that. cricket button, yeah. Sorry. Well, I hope you're awake now. Um, anyway, the, uh, the program that I'm involved with is, is the, the learn to hunt program. So I get to mentor somebody and, you know, take them to a, an area of the property and, and get them settled in and, and kind of just survey the area. And I did a little bit of a push for them, pushing through some, uh, some pretty thick, nasty stuff, hoping I could bump a deer out. There were deer in there. There was a lot of sign, a lot of tracks and, beds right down through the snow and down to the dirt so those deer were held pretty tight in there but I'm fairly confident anything that was in there heard me and didn't want to move until I was probably almost on top of them and if if they got out of there I never heard them because there was so much snow on the ground that they can move pretty quietly never hear them yeah that's that's tough at this point in the Wisconsin season those deer have been hunted so hard and with firearms for the last two and a half weeks that man they don't like to get up for much if they don't have to if they're in a nice safe bedding spot they're just going to lay there and let you walk by as much as possible yeah absolutely and this was like very much iconic or ideal driftless area bedding you know hill country bedding where they're on the leeward side and they can either go one way or another dive off the backside and, and keep on going to multiple other ridges and other thick spots. It sounds like an awesome program, though. I mean, anybody listening who's not involved with uh, Share the Hunt or the Hunt in Common, which John Selfview runs, but uh, these opportunities to get new people in the woods, whether you're a new hunter or someone looking to get into it, but you don't know exactly how to get started, or maybe you have hunted for years and would like to do you know, what Greg is doing and be there to take somebody out and kind of give them their first few experiences and show them the ropes. It's just a really great way to make connections in the outdoors and meaningful relationships. Certainly is. I mean, I'm meeting some pretty, pretty nice people, you know, and people from different walks of life and just younger people that want to learn it. You know, they don't have kids right now, or maybe they're not married or maybe they are married and both of them and their significant other are trying to get more involved with it. They like the idea of sourcing their own protein and uh, getting outdoors. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. I'm glad you got to go do that. And uh, it looked like, uh, looked like Doug had quite the setup there at his, uh, <laughs> his house for, yeah. for all the people taking part. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's the old farmhouse and, and 
you know, he's got accommodations for us to, he had accommodations for us to spend the night and, and get up and get ready to mentor the next day. So it worked out really well. Very cool. So what are you doing to find success this time of year? (laughs) (laughs) Loaded Uh, loaded question. (laughs) Well, uh, Greg and I, I think we both got our buck tags still for Bo here in Wisconsin, right? Our archery buck tags. Yep, we certainly do. I know. And I had said before that I was done, and that lasted about a week. And then I decided maybe I do want to go a little bit more. But, uh, man, I got to tell you, maybe you've been more successful than me, but I was thinking back, and in all of my hunting that I've done, I don't think I have ever killed a buck after muzzleloader season in my whole life. Well, I'm, and I'm with you there. Not, yeah, I'm not the most dedicated late season hunter like i'm not out there every single opportunity like i'm not quite as willing to spring my free time on hunting since i've just exhausted so much free time and stealing time away from loved ones during the regular season but i mean not for lack of trying i've definitely late season hunted a fair amount in the past and i just i mean i've had chances to take does but i have never i don't think i've ever had the opportunity to shoot a good deer in the late season. I'm really struggling on it. I've had opportunities. Um, on public land, it's very difficult unless you, you're you getting in to a very thick bedding area that's not far away from good food sources. And good food sources around these parts really, really change by the year. You know, if mm-hmm. there's a, a, maybe a cornfield that wasn't picked all the way, or wasn't chisel plowed under. Um, even if it was chisel plowed under, if there isn't any waste grain there for them, they won't, they, you know, they'll find another place to eat. It, it really depends on the food and we're into that, you know, we'll call it the tail end of the rut or some guys will call it the second rut, but this is where, you know, the, the young of the year are, they may go into estrus and they're, subject to being bred by the bucks. And that is, I mean, that's definitely something that I have noticed just through cameras and uh, whatnot over the years. That later rut or the younger deer coming into rut, um, that's definitely, there's definitely some action to be found in the beginning of December. Um, I don't know if you checked any of your cameras lately, Greg, but I just pulled two cards today on a small piece that I uh, hung on, I don't know, a week and a half ago. Uh, in hopes of finding some late season deer and gosh, um, maybe I have the date here, but I did, did get a couple of photos. There was a doe group living in there. It looked like, um, doe and a couple of small ones. So this would have been on the 11th. So I was pretty recently here, but a doe group moves through at three thirty, and then two bucks, both young bucks, one little seven pointer and one forker or something are hot on their tail right behind them following in a little line following them out so i don't know if that's any type of uh late rut action but those two bucks are definitely behind those does following them so yep they're looking for the leftovers Um, my my trail cameras were pretty quiet up until probably the past couple days and all of a sudden i'm starting like you said a couple of small bucks there were does in there um, nothing, nothing huge to write home about. Um, I think the, uh, the big old boys, they're kind of hold up licking their wounds here 
not that they won't come through. Um, I've had some pretty good sits right around the 15th through the 20th on other properties, not, not public, but small pieces of permission private where deer, where does were holed up. And I've had two encounters with really nice bucks. You know, I was too busy watching the does and one encounter in particular was too busy watching the doe group because they had a coyote circle around them and they were all stomping and blowing at that. that And it made it pretty entertaining. Like it was like a 15 minute standoff and it just so happened a buck crossed the road came in right behind me. And I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I instinctively turned and looked and there he was 20 yards from the base of my tree staring at those does. Well, he came from the downwind side. So he was downwind of me also. And he was very edgy. Like as soon as I turned, he saw a little bit of movement. He blew and took Mm -hmm. off. So I know he caught Ah. my scent, but he wasn't sure where I was at because I was up pretty high in, in more, more cover, but he, he took off and that was a, that was a hell of a nice buck, a nice big 10 pointer. Um, one, I would have been really happy to shoot, but if, if I would have been paying attention, I would have, you know, looking behind me instead of watching that doe group, um, I would have had a real good chance at shooting him. Now, just out of curiosity, sake, because I tend to I just have such a hard time finding quality food sources in the late season on public. What kind of stuff were you hunting in there? What was the terrain like that those doe group was coming out to? Um, it was a very residential area. So as you can imagine, uh, it was mostly browse and many of, any of the plants in the property that, you know, any of the shrubs in the property that they wanted to eat. So it might have been dogwood. Um, and any other, maybe if there was some, uh, oh, maybe some maples, if they wanted to nibble the tips off the maples, um, and you know, all the neighborhood bird feeders, that kind of stuff. But other than that, the nearest egg was probably a mile south of there. So it would have been nothing for those deer to walk down there and they didn't have any real dangerous, busy intersections to get through to get there, but they would have had to walk a little ways to get to that food source. And those, I think those residential neighborhoods provide more food than, you know, a person doesn't typically think about that, but man, it, since moving down to Southeastern Wisconsin, I find a, a lot of properties and I walk some properties and I'm open to hunting um, in the winter, you know, just kind of poke around for sheds, some public properties, but man, the deer seem to really pile into those little pockets in residential areas where there's good cover. I think there's more food in people's yards than we tend to think. Yeah, I mean they'll eat the grass, especially if there's you know clover in the grass. They'll they'll eat that. They find things that that we wouldn't think they would eat, and they do eat it. Yeah, it's it's tough. I'm not really looking forward to trying to uh, figure out a buck here in the late season. Part of me is up for the challenge, but part of me is wishing that I had something already kind of figured out. Um, I got a spot in mind. One of my good buddies, Adam Paul, is coming down this weekend. He's going to stay the weekend with his fiance Sarah. And uh, the girls gave us the go-ahead to go out for a hunt or two. So I'm running some cameras on a property. Um, but obviously I haven't seen anything good yet show up. So in the back of my mind, I got a spot that I walked last. It was late winter, early spring. There was still ice and a little bit of snow. And I found this little thick pocket on public. 
um, way back in some grassy, marshy area, some red brush around it. Um, but that whole general area, there really wasn't much for, I mean, I want to say there was some diversity in the trees, but not much for like browse. Like it was kind of grown poplar and then it kind of came out to some, you know, swampier maple and dead ash. And there just wasn't much in there, but there was a whole bunch of deer using this one little pocket as a big bedding area. And there was good buck sign all around it. Seemed like they spent the winter in there. But it is a pain in the ass to get to. Oh, so part no. of me is like, I haven't been here this year. Like hoping that just pressure from gun season, pressure from, you know, this Angeles hunt, maybe this little pocket's pretty hard to reach. And I didn't see anybody have any sign around it. Part of me wants to drag Adam back there because I know he likes that kind of crap. And just, you know, see what we can do. But it's like, wow, that would really suck to walk way the heck back in there through this thick stuff on a total crapshoot and have no deer in there. <laughs> well, I mean, and this deer, it's kind of tough too, right? Like our snowpack is disappearing. I don't know how yours is by you, but uh, we don't have a whole lot left here. So No, it's to, mostly gone, yeah. To, to try and track, you know, to confirm it, you, if you had a, a deer highway pounded through the snow, it would be a lot easier. But Uh-huh. We don't have that. So you're kind of, and by now, so much sign has been laid down, you know, like I was walking Doug's property, there's rubs all over the place. And luckily they they had six inches of snow so I could see the tracks that were snowed in, you know, when the deer mm-hmm. were walking around while it was snowing on Friday to like the deer that had been up and walking around in the morning, like those tracks were fresh. You could tell nothing was falling inside the tracks Nothing had blown in into the tracks. It was, they were fresh within within at least six eight hours. So now yeah. now we're you're, you know you're going through a place. Maybe it's a a peat, a peat moss type marsh where it sucks up the sign as soon as it's laid down. You know any any footprints that that makes it pretty difficult. But you almost got to go with your gut feeling that well this spot seems like it could hold deer. There's historical sign around here. There's rubs all over the place. Maybe there's a scrape. Deer aren't really using scrapes a whole lot anymore. Um, if they are, they're doing it at night, and it's usually the younger bucks from my experience. I mean, I I run trail cameras all the way into March, and we'll get a little flurry of activity right around now in December where some of the bucks will come and hit those scrapes again, depending on the on the conditions, of course. And that's about it. They're not nearly as active as they are in October into November. And I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are just on your historical trail cams, because now that you mention it, I'm just kind of thinking back to, I've had cameras that I've left soak over scrapes like that, you know, into the late season until I've gone and picked them up and ended December, January, February, whenever. And um, I've had bucks on them. I've had some mature bucks checking scrapes in december but as far as i can recall i don't think i've ever had a mature buck working a scrape or spending time at a scrape in december i've had them cruise over them you know what i mean they're looking they know the game so it seems like they're looking like they're not spending time pawing out the dirt like they're cruising over it as like a communication area let me walk through here and see if i smell anything I don't think I've ever had a picture of a mature deer who is working a scrape or who seemed to spend any time there. Maybe one picture, maybe two, and then he was gone. He was off. 
checking, searching. Yep. Yeah, I, I can think back to one deer last year in particular who was no longer with us anymore uh, that did hit a scrape in December only because of the amount of other young bucks I think were around. I think I think that's what did it, you know, just to kind of him go in there and go, nope, this is mine, not yours. And that was it. But it was very short-lived, a couple days, and then it was all done. And after, yeah. after that, you know, you'd see an occasional little one stop and rub his, rub his face all over the licking branch. Um, but the, the big one, like you said, after that, though, he, he would just cruise right through it. He already knew who was there. He could tell that, you know, the does hadn't used it or there were no does there or maybe there were. But most of the does were in the feed, you know, not far away from that from that scrape. Cause this, this particular scrape was close to food. Yeah, so this spot I'm thinking of going, I can't, I didn't find anything scrape-wise, but it's all pretty lowland grassy stuff um, until you get up towards some hardwoods. And uh, I didn't see any scrapes down in the immediate area, but that pocket there just seems like it was so dense with deer. So many bedding areas, there has to be some doe bedding in there, I would think, even this time of year, just because it's isolated, it provides security, provides cover. Um, and there's areas around that they can move for food. Um, so I think the distance would be okay. It's just gambling on, is there going to be a buck there? You know, like, sure, a buck was bedding in there at some point. Last season, there was rub in there in beds. But uh, I'm just hoping that they're kind of congregated in there after having some pressure. And this weekend, we're supposed to get a little bit of cold weather. So maybe we can get on an edge, get close, and just get some eyes on something is kind of what I'm hoping. Sure. If you had a trail camera in there, where where would you want to put it? Um, I actually, that's a great question, because I found a spot where it looked like uh, on the south end of this little bedding area. So it was very circular, um, just this round little pocket. Um, it had a whole bunch of wide open marsh grass and cattail uh, to the west. And then there was a little river that ran through there or some sort of body of water. And then edge came down and the edge kind of thinned out a little bit as it came from the north and then there's just this weird little pocket um sort of like i wouldn't call it an island but an island shape of slightly higher ground that had like ash trees on it and red brush and then to the east of all those cattails on the other side of this little bedding patch was uh more brush like alders and then kind of just thicker grassy area and then the woods all bordered it so there was guys hunting in the main woods to the north and to the east. I didn't see anybody that was coming back into there. Um, I found an area where it seemed like a buck was exiting, like the southeast corner. Um, he had a good rub line. I noticed all the low-hanging brush was all broke off, like a little tunnel, from one of the beds that had rubs along it, heading right out to that grassy opening. It was basically the shortest route, but it seemed like a good rack buck walking through there just broke off all the branches sticks just from walking through so it's kind of like this little corridor is wide open i was like all right this is probably where the buck is coming out um and then there was little patches of alders and they were all tore up you know those little rub clusters where they rub like six eight trees yes of alders all together and um then that's actually where i was thinking of potentially going in there and setting up there's nowhere a guy could get in the sand there it'd have to be a ground setup and i don't know how well that would work late season here just because I haven't been back there and I don't know how thick it is 
But uh, if I was going to run a camera, I would run it <clears throat> probably one on the north edge and one on the south edge, not right on that area, but like on the edge leading away, you know, so you can get in. I like to run my cameras where you can check them. And if there's something good, you still have a little bit of room to hunt them before you, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like you get, not give them a, so you, close that you've blown them out, but like you can check it and there's still a couple of trees you could hang in. So you could go past where you just left your scent and hunt that day sure. if you need to. Yeah. You got a little bit of a buffer zone. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. So I would say, you know, like a hundred yards away ish from where you think they're really coming out of. Uh, to run my cameras. And that one had a real defined edge to the north, real defined edge to the south. So it's probably been a pretty good camera setup if you can get on a tree. <laughs> All those alders grow out at angles. You know, you'd almost have to like bring a stick in or a stake and pound a stake in or something. Yeah. And that's difficult. And, you know, on public land, you can't trust anybody to leave your stuff alone. It, it'll, it'll walk. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so. What about you? Uh, if I go try this crapshoot thing, uh, what's your late season looking like? What's your setup strategy? Well, I have a, uh, that residential property, which is tempting because I know there are good deer in there. I do know that that area has been sharp, selectively harvested. Let's just say it, there's been a lot of deer taken out of there. Um, gotcha. And I don't believe it was really all that selective. It was if it's brown, it's down, it needs to go. Uh, they took a lot of deer out of there. So last when I hunted it during muzzleloader season, I didn't see very many deer in there, not like I used to see. So mm. usually I see them crossing the roads, and I just don't see that. So I know there's deer there because the landowner actually has a camera out there, of course, under his bird feeder, and he's got a few deer that, that come and frequent the area. So uh, there's a, always a chance that I, I could get a, a shot at a buck. Um, but that all depends on what the neighbors are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, do the, uh, neighbors, the immediate neighbors, is there enough acreage that they might be hunting on? There is, there's definitely enough acreage there that somebody could hunt, but it, the way it sounds is everybody in the area is kind of tagged out or they're done hunting. Like they're, they don't bother with it late season. So it might be my best bet, you know, taking advantage of the permission versus trying to go slug it out on a piece of public that I know has been hammered. You know, mm-hmm. you've been through my public areas and it def they definitely get hunted. They get a lot of pressure and oh, yeah. it's hard to believe that they would still hold deer. They do, but I don't think you're, you're seeing the mature deer. You're those bucks are, they're, hell bent on staying alive and they're going to go someplace where they're not pressured at all. And that might be the back edge of some, some private pieces, maybe a mile or two away from that, from that pieces of public. But it's still nice to run trail cameras out on public. And I do, um, I try to pick up trails where, you know, in between the bedding and the food and put cameras out. And sometimes I do good and sometimes I don't find anything. So mm-hmm. it's where then it, it becomes a numbers game where putting more cameras out can be helpful and just letting them run. Hopefully they don't get ripped off uh, in between the food source and the bedding and, and see who and survived. That's, that's just a, a great learning tool for anybody who's interested in learning more about the deer in their area and how they use that area throughout the season leaving your cameras up or redeploying. Like I usually try to pull as many cameras as I can before gun season 
uh, that weekend before yep. gun season, which is a great bow hunting weekend, but there's so many people um, that hit the woods looking for a spot, setting up gun spots that, man, it just, I can't, I have a hard time leaving cameras out, even though that's when you want to get pictures, you know, you're going to get some nice ones in November, but it just, the risk of losing them is so high um, that I tend to pull all my cameras out early in November. Um, but after season, don't think that those cameras are going to do you any good sitting in your basement in a tote. Uh, it's a great time to get them back out. As long as you don't have, you know, a whole bunch of snowfall where people can follow your tracks, you've got spots you can get to without making tracks, go hang some cameras and see what deer are around and see what they do late season in your area. See where they move. Um, I, I found a lot that to be a really useful tool and I love to find sheds obviously and walk around looking for sheds and almost all the really nice sheds that we found up north have been due to trail camera information sure. knowing where they were in December and then knowing where they were in the beginning of January middle of January are they in there did they move saves a lot of walking if you have an idea of where those deer were right so, and then, and then mean, all of a sudden, February, <clears throat> mid mid to end February, end of February, March, guy, you know, you you see a deer walk by, and boy, that looks like a buck with how square the head is and big the body is, and they have no horns. So you got kind of an idea, a timeline as to well, I last saw a buck through here, you know, February twentieth, and now here it is, the twenty eighth of February, and there's a lot of deer with no horns on. So now you kind of have a a way of going, well, if I want to find sheds right away, this might be the, the, the time frame to go and look for them. Absolutely. Um, and not that just having a whole pile of horns, like I like having a whole pile of horns to look at and play with too, but like just shed hunting, you know, just to get yourself more familiarized with the area you're hunting, getting trail cameras out, just walking around looking for good places to hang trail cameras is a lot like hunting. Like you're looking for a place to invest time trying to find a specific caliber of deer. Like that's, that's all going to help. So I think once gun season goes through, it's a great thing for guys to get back out in the woods. And even if you're not late season bow hunting, just to get out there and see what the woods is like, see where, where the deer have gone. The more, you know, escape routes and where deer like to find sanctuary, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. And it's all relevant. I mean, if, you end up finding yourself to be a late season bow hunter like we're going to be this year. Um, you know, you go, well, I, I know where I found sheds. You know, there's got to be something to this spot. In some cases there is. Um, but again, mm -hmm. down here it might be a little tougher because the, the crops rotate and food sources change a little bit. And in the north woods, like where you hunt, I mean, it could be a, a – a huge acorn crop one year and it might be two or three years before you get another really awesome acorn crop. Yeah. The acorns make a huge, huge difference up there, man. If you find wherever an area where loads and loads of acorns fell, if they didn't scarf them all up before the snow falls, that is going to be the hot spot. And I never really thought they would be out in these open oak woods, but when you find one that's tore up and the leaves look like they've gone through a shredder because their hooves have been chewing them up so much, you're going to find sheds in there. Um, and I know we're going to want to find sheds yet. We still want to find one with their antlers on their heads. But uh, I, I really don't have any spots where I've found an abundance of acorns this year. Up north or down here, I, I mean, I found spots that had acorns, but none that I could think of off the top of my head where I know that there would still be some food left on the ground. 
Otherwise, that's a spot I would definitely key in late season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, red oaks, I know, stay on the ground a little bit longer, and I think the deer will eat those kind of as a last resort, depending on the year, of course. But, um, you know, coming off of oaks, I mean, there's other things for them to browse on. You know, down here, dogwood is a big thing, and if they can paw down and find some grasses underneath the snow, they'll certainly take advantage of that too. Yeah. Well, all in all, I would say trail cameras are a good thing, you know, to to take advantage of. If you've got a fleet of them to get out there, get out there and use them. Like you said, it's they're not doing you any good sitting in the basement in a tote. Uh, get them back out there, get them, get them tuned up, and get them going. I like to switch to lithium ions. I know it's they're expensive, man. I can't believe how expensive lithiums have gotten, but <laughs> that has changed so much in the last couple of years. It has. It's it went from you could get a twenty-four pack for thirty bucks to now they're double the price. They're sixty bucks. Um, yeah, there's I'll, some cheaper I'll, ones out there, but they don't last as long as the energizers do. I can speak. Those energizer ultimate lithiums, man, in almost any trail camera that I've tried. I don't have any cell cams, so I know that those two batteries are a little bit different, a little bit more, depending on where your service is. But those ultimate lithiums, I swear those batteries are good for over a year in most cameras, depending how many pictures they're taking. Right. But it, uh, it I've does. had them last well over a year. Yeah, I mean, if you're running them on a field edge where you, you're going to expect high traffic, and it all depends on how you run run your cameras, too, how you set them up. Like, I usually run a two-shot burst uh, if I'm going to take pictures in in on a field edge just because and then if you have the ability to set you know the run time as to like time of day that they run uh take advantage of that and if not change the sensitivity on the camera like i've got a couple of coverts i found that if i run the sensitivity on low they still sense deer really well at night um and i don't get nearly as many trips during the day um where if I ran it on medium, if the sunlight hit it a certain way, hit, hit the field in front of it or hit the grass in front of it or whatever I'm, I'm focused on, that little bit of heat will actually, you know, the sensor picks that up and it takes pictures of the ground or the grass in front of it or the tree limb I or had whatever. That, yeah. I had that same issue with, I, I used to run a whole bunch of coverts, a little bit older ones, MP6, MP8. And you always had to change that sensitivity. Otherwise, you're looking at 2,000 pictures of blowing oh, grass man. in the sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many pictures I deleted off of those suckers. Oh, man. I, I got a pair of MP3. Actually, I got three. I got a three-pack of the MP32s. They take great photos. I did run one on video mode for like a week just to see how the video would, would turn out. And it turned out really good. Um, but the, the images are pretty <clears> crispy. But... The drawback is, is there's really no good security on them. Like if they were to get jacked, uh, they like somebody's got a camera. There's no way of coding it or anything. So good camera, just be nice if it they they would put a little more feature into it by by uh, adding the ability to put it like a security code in it, um, and then just yeah. the way it would latch or lock is not not the greatest. But for photo quality, it's a great camera. Yeah, you see a lot of these camera companies, they've got the, the hole in the back for running a python or a cable lock. Yep, and it but does. It doesn't go. it doesn't go through the latch. No. You know, like, so people can take your SD cards. Like, if you're going to make a security latch, make it secure the camera, everything in the camera. Right. 
Uh, I got that one old <clears throat> Moultrie, that old blue Moultrie that I have. Yep. Old, old Blue's got that uh, got the ability to run a Python through it. And then yep. all my Exodus cameras, you can run the Python through the latch. But yep. you could very easily break the the latch could be busted. You know, nothing is. Yeah, those are just plastic. Yeah, locks locks only keep honest people so honest. You know, they don't want. Hey, be I'm glad you. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned old blue because I still got old blue hanging up in the woods. Maybe that would be a good late season spot to go check out. Well, maybe you need to go check out where old blue is. I might have to go check out old blue. That's the uh, Moultrie I-990 that Greg and I both have. Yep. The cameras, the, the camouflage fades to the sun. They've both turned kind of blue, yep. but it's been a work workhorse of a camera. This is an old, old camera. Yeah. How old are those, Greg? Uh, 12 years old, maybe? At least 12 or 13. They might even be older than that. But I bought one. It was on sale. I think these were, back in the day, these were like a $130 camera. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, takes pictures really well. Mine, mine's temperamental. Like you can turn it on. It doesn't do anything. You got to shut it off a couple times and turn it back on. Then it comes on. So yep. it's kind of a crapshoot. I usually don't put this in a real high quality spot. This one maybe is a good like fence crossing camera or something. Cause it trigger speed's pretty good and it takes decent images probably out to 40 yards pretty well. Um, good enough to know if you got a, a decent buck or, you know, see something moving around through there. Yeah, a lot of good pictures over the years, and that was one of the first, I think, like black flash or no flash mm-hmm. cameras that we kind of picked up, hoping to sneak into some areas yeah. a little more sensitive and closer to, you know, where we thought some deer might be, some good bucks. Yep, that was probably one of my best cameras for a while. Um, like you said, the black flash was nice, didn't spook deer. <clears throat> you don't hear the shutter moving around in there, at least I don't on mine. Um mm-hmm. But, you know, leaps and bounds since then in cameras and technology. I do like how small the footprint is of it, though. It's a tiny camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we've been kind of hammering on the cameras here. I did hang up two more today when I went for my little walk. I checked two. They're close together. Um, just covering different trails. In a, basically, where I've got my two cameras here, they're both close, I'd say, within... 60 or 70 yards of each other. I got a cluster of two to the north, cluster of two to the south. And uh, where I put my cameras today and where the other two are, basically just right inside the edge of some of the thicker cover on the property. It's uh, a spot that's got some rubs just because it's naturally kind of a buck travel area because it's thicker. But uh, the rubs, I mean, aren't super interesting to me right now. I know a buck has been there. Great. I don't think they're necessarily following rub lines, but for both of these properties or both of these areas, it's kind of a thicker, more dense security cover, which is what I'm definitely trying to key in on late season here. Um, I don't see a lot of mature bucks walking through the real open stuff. Um, they most likely will free up their travel a little bit in the coming weeks with less pressure, less pressure every day, less pressure. And once we get some cold and some snow, you'll really start to see deer moving again. But for now, it's like I just hang in tight to cover wherever they would feel safe. Let's talk about hunting height. I mean, you said that you're, some of these spots you're not seeing any decent trees. If you had trees, how high are you you hunting? It gets, it gets a lot tougher in the late season. Obviously, all the cover's down, a lot of the trees. 
And uh, if you don't have back cover, I really, this is a time where I really think you got to stay, you know, where the cover is. So sometimes if you're got some alders or some red brush, that's, you know, wherever you can hide most of your body underneath it and have your shooting above it. So that might be eight feet. It might be six feet, might be 12 feet. Um, if I got good back cover, I still like to get up high. Um, I like to hunt pretty high typically just because it's always just helps with the scent and the wind and keep everything more consistent the higher I go wind-wise. Um, but if there's no back cover, there's no sense in getting up there. Not only is it colder, but uh, those deer are going to be able to pick you off from a long way away with no leaves. I, I can agree with that 100%. I mean, back cover is very important. Uh, if you don't have it, you're being skylined. They can pick you off from 100 yards away if they really wanted to, it, depending. Yeah, I mean, finding some sort of tree, you know, a guy always likes to have a cluster of trees if you can or where a tree splits. Just having another tree to break up your outline and give you that little bit of sense of security uh, that you're not up in a telephone pole really, really seems to make make a guy feel better. But when you get down into those, you know, marshy areas that are down here, like where a lot of your spots are, a lot of times you're not afforded that luxury. No, you might have the one or two trees in that area that are good enough to hang in. So you're not, uh, you're, you're very limited. So you're almost better off on the ground in the cattails or off the edge of the cattails if you have a trail running the edge of the cattails. And you'd stay warmer too because if it's a windy day, you know, the wind's not cutting you up up in the tree, just like I had during opening day of gun season. <laughs> Above yeah. the cattails was not the place to be. You know, it was a great vantage point, but I didn't last until, you know, I, I was done by 1030. I was tore up by the wind, so I had to get down out of that tree. And once I got on the ground, it was it felt like it was 20 degrees warmer. It was that much better. Now, Greg, you've got a lot more experience hunting cattail areas than I do. Um, I've heard about guys setting up in cattails, you know, where you set up kind of paralleling the trail, you know, into the cattails, and some guys will march a little, you know, make a little path to the trail. So once the deer passes by them, they kind of get a quartering away shot. Have you ever hunted in the marsh, in the cattails with them, or how do you approach those situations? Are you looking for a tree, or? That's a great question. Historically, I've always looked for a tree and I have yet to say that it pans out. (laughs) So (laughs) I I think it's better. You'd be better off in the cattails. The only problem is, is your line of sight, even if the cattails are, you know, knocked down lower than what they were, you're still, your, 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 your vantage point is really limited. Like you might be able to hear them coming, but if it's a windy day, you're not going to hear anything until it's on top of you. So Mm -hmm. you're really not, you're not seeing a whole lot other than the cattails at eye level. So it, it, it gets difficult. So it, that, that adds to, uh, I guess it's another level of patience. Yeah. Okay. When you're taking that visual element away, that makes it so much harder to sit for me, at least like when you said you're looking for a tree, I find myself always looking for that best visual just so I can see what's going on. I can imagine sitting in the cattails watching one trail, hoping that's the one. And right. if you did your homework and your research, that might be worthwhile. But uh, at this time of year, I don't have that. I didn't do my research. Right. <laughs> yeah, it it certainly is more difficult. But 
the the cattails do lend some good thermal cover cover for the deer you know especially when we start dipping down to highs in the teens um with with a lot of wind those those deer definitely like to hold up in the cattails uh till they have problems with predators running around in there and too it also depends i think if if there's ice in there like if there's ice in there they don't want to be skating around on that it makes it more difficult for them to to mm-hmm. run and, run and escape yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, getting a little bit more venison for the freezer. I'm doing all right with the venison, but after that uh, backstrap you made at our OKS Hunter get together, man, I gotta tell you, I, I want some more, and I want that recipe. What did you? Greg made the most delicious stuffed venison backstrap I think I ever had in my life. What did you do with that, man? That was so good. Yeah, I mean, it was real simple. Uh, cream cheese. Um, Basic ingredients is a pound of cream cheese. Uh, I, that was enough to fill both of those back straps. So those were full-length back straps that I cut into three pieces. And then, you know, just butterfly them open to make a pocket to be able to tuck the goodness in. Um, salted, <laughs> salted and peppered. I, I, I went probably a little heavier on the black pepper than some would, but I like it. And uh, that, But that, that stuffing can, consisted of uh, caramelized onion, so I took some bacon grease and I caramelized an onion, uh, some, uh, garlic, a couple cloves of garlic in there and, uh, some mushrooms. I put some mushrooms in there and cooked them and then mixed it, whipped it together with the cream cheese and filled the, the fillets of venison and right on that, uh, that pit boss smoker grill that Eric has, it, it really went, Ooh. yeah, it really tasted wow. good. That stuff just fell apart. I think the guys, I don't think we had any knives out there. I think we were cutting it with old plastic yeah. <laughs> plastic cutlery, and it stuff was just falling apart. It was so good. Yep. It, it was darn tasty. So, <laughs> Yeah, that, that little more backstraps doesn't sound like a bad plan to me. No, not at all. Get out and whack a doe if you can. All right, we'll see what we can do. You bet. Well, I think that's it for, for this episode. Uh, got much, don't have much else here. So Eric's gone. So we, uh, we kind of chewed the fat a little bit here today. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, somebody can get, uh, at least a little bit of late season Intel or some pictures, you know, to kind of keep, keep the team wheeling and dealing here, keep us all kind of motivated, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely dwindling down. It certainly is. Well, Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, have a good night.